The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Welcome if you are watching on YouTube. Hope that you uh, have found us easily enough and uh, that you can stick with us the rest of this next 40 minutes and then uh, at 1045 our service until noonish after uh, this is done we'll have that that worship service so our teacher this morning will be brother james good morning i'm turning in my bible to the eighth chapter of the book of amos one of the things that we notice here is that amos in giving the prophecy used two primary modes of communicating with the people one of those were was one of those ways is the oracle a method, and the other one was what we call vision. And when we come to chapter 8, it says here, Thus the Lord God showed me. And so that would be one of those that we put under the category of a vision. So now he's reporting what the Lord, what the Lord showed him. So what did the Lord show him? It says a basket of summer fruit. A basket of summer fruit. That's quite an interesting thought. That's usually a delightful experience to see a basket of summer fruit, or sometimes somebody would give you a basket of summer fruit. And that's all a good thing. And so that's what the Lord showed him. But then the next part of the verse says, Then the Lord said to me. So first he said, what do you see? And now he said, now the Lord said. And this is what he said. The end has come upon my people, Israel. The end. Now, we mentioned before that from what we can understand of the Hebrew, that this appears to be a play on words. The, the word that are rendered as summer fruit here and the word that's rendered as in, uh, in Hebrew are quite similar. And so a play on words. What that would mean is that one of the things that we've noticed in Amos is that he uses different uh, literary forms and, and styles and all that sort of thing. So those things are what helps the people get the message and to help the message have its impact. We are looking at a translation here, but I understand from folks who are able to read the languages and the originals that clearly there are things that we don't pick up because the translation may lose something, but uh, we have good translations and we can glean an enormous amount from those. And so that's what that seems to be there. We have drawn attention over and over again to the phrase, my people, because it's important for us to continue to remember and recognize as we go through that what God is doing, to say, well, what is God doing? And with whom is he doing it? And why is he doing what he's doing? Those kinds of things. So he says, the end to come upon my people Israel. 
And then it says, I will not pass by them anymore. This is, this is for us something by which we can say the long-suffering and patience of God does not last forever. He says, I will not pass by them anymore, which means obviously he had passed by them before and overlooked and didn't bring the judgment, but now the judgment is, is ripe. Just as a summer fruit is ready to be harvested, Israel is ripe to be harvested for the evil and the bad things they had done. Now, so it says here, and the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord. Many dead bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land uh, fail. We notice in that verse there were the words in that day. Or and in this chapter eight, you notice in that day in verse number three, it appears in verse number nine, in verse uh, number eleven. Uh, you will say, see, in the days coming, uh, that are coming, in 8.13, in that day, again, and then we notice when we're in five, chapter 5 and verse 18, it talks about the day of the Lord. Now, there is a great day, upper caps, of the Lord that is coming, but our understanding is that there were other days of the Lord and that the reference here for Amos is talking about a day of the Lord that was for them, we would say, was near future. We talked about Amos and that his prophesying was somewhere around 760 B.C. And we know that the Assyrian invasion came along in about 722. So that's a relatively short time span, within four decades. So this thing is being given to them in that day. So this is what we understand this reference to, to refer to. It's a terrible day. A terrible day that's coming. I'm going to turn back now to chapter 5 and verse 18. Because there we see that phrase used and how the people were looking at it and had a different idea than what God had. In verse 18 of chapter 5 in Amos, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into his house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, 
Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? That's quite a devastating thought. But that's what we read here. Now, the next portion, the next section of this, in verses 4 through 6, it begins with uh, the, the two words, hear this. Hear this. So who is he instructing to hear? To hear, to pay attention, to listen, to take note. He identifies the people to whom he's addressing this in several different ways. And one of those is that he says, you who swallow up the needy. That there were needy people in the land. Swallow them up. You, you mistreat them. You don't do nice things by them. Also in verse number four, it says, you make the poor of the land fail. That's not good. So those, so those two things, the poor and the needy, are called out as to the people who are he, whom he's telling to hear. But then he says also, when I say, well, who are they? They are the people who say, here's what they say. They have something to say about the new moon, and they have something to say with regard to the Sabbath. These are people who the message is that they need to hear. So what do they have to say? When will the new moon be passed? Now that's an interesting thought. I'm going to look at a few verses that talk about the new moon. But they wanted it to be passed. And then the Sabbath, the same. When is it going to be over? When, when are we going to get past this? It's almost like you roll into the day and they're ready for the day to be done. But they had a reason for what they wanted to do. And I'm going to read those from here. They wanted the new moon to be over so that they could sell grain. So they're at the place and time where their focus should be on worshiping the Lord, and they want it to be over with so they can sell grain. So they're putting their material concerns above the concerns for worshiping the Lord. The Sabbath. They want it gone so they can trade wheat. But not just trade wheat. Look at what follows. Making the ephah small. The measure. And the shekel large. Falsifying scales by deceit. Now these are some audacious things. 
often, many times we have heard preachers say when they are looking at the congregation and they say, well, I wonder how many of you right now are, are, are in your minds, you're just really thinking about what you're going to have for, for, for dinner after the service, or what you're going to be doing this afternoon. Not really clearly paying attention, but thinking ahead. Now, that's one thing, to be, you know, have your mind drift away. You think about what you're going to eat or, you know, who you're going to be with or that sort of thing. That's one thing. But look at what they were doing. They wanted it to be over with for these purposes so they could quickly get back to cheating the people. Now, that might not seem like that big of a thing because if somebody was to think about it as, well, they're just business people that just want to, you know, get on with their business and, and all that sort of thing. But God had a way of saying that the, the poor and the needy needed to be treated well. And so God is concerned about how they treat, and we even treat, people who are poor and needy. I'm going to read a few verses. Starting in Deuteronomy. And then Deuteronomy chapter 15. Beginning the chapter, in chapter 15, verse 7. And I read, I think, through verse 11. But in verse 7 of chapter 15 in Deuteronomy, here's what it says. Is If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. This is what God is instructing them to do and how they're supposed to think about what to do with regard to the poor brethren. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The Sabbath year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it become sin among you. You should surely give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. So he said not just to give, but to do it with a good attitude. So I suppose then that means that we have some control over our attitudes. And so if they're not right, we can make the adjustment, recognizing that the attitude is wrong. And that's what he says here. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and your needy in your land. Now, that's an interesting thing there. It says that the poor, you know, they will always be poor. But that doesn't mean that they should be actively enforcing that concept that they're always going to be poor. Abusing people and keeping them down just in order to make the verse 
to maintain. That's not, that's not the point. But there will be poor, is what the verse says. And there was a way that God wanted them to deal with the poor and work with them. They wanted to cheat. They wanted to use false weights or dual weights. They wanted to use a smaller quantity for the measure and a larger quantity for the payment. I've read something we said archaeologists discovered in some of the uh, archaeological excavations from this area, two sets of scales. One set of scales that were being used for selling and another set of scales for buying. And so you know what that means. Is that mean, it means that the people who are cheating, they, 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 you know, they're going to sell less for more. And, and you know, so they're bringing one scale out when they're selling something because they're going to get more money than what they should get when they sell. And then when they buy, they're going to pay less money than they should be paying when they buy. And so they said, we're going to go in both, we're going to gain both ways. But anyway, that's, that's where it goes. I, I've thought about this when I was, I, I was in the Dollar Tree the other day, and I, and I noticed that for, a, uh, for the, the bleach, you know, Dollar Tree, everything a dollar, right? But they, they put a, a 50% increase on the, on the cost of the bleach since the last time I saw it. But it was still a dollar. <laughs> so what did they do? They, they, they decreased the size. So rather than 96 ounces for a dollar, it's... 64 ounces for a dollar. But then I remember when you, you would get a, a whole gallon for that one dollar. So, you know, so the shifting and changing of the prices and that sort of thing. Now, I'm not saying that what they're doing is, is what the, these folks are doing here because you go in and you know what you're being, what you're getting. And they tell you right on the package how much you're paying and how much you're paying for. So that's not cheating. It's just the way that they shifted the prices, adjusted the prices or increased the prices. But anyway, but these people were not doing it that way. They were purposefully cheating. That's why they wanted the new moon and the festival to be done quickly so they could get back to their cheating. For me to think about that is a scary thought. To, to think that I could have an evil purpose in mind and that I want God's things to be out of the way quickly so that I could get to my evil purpose. That, that's a frightening thought. But I suppose, though, Pastor Matt has been preaching about self-deception. I suppose we could get to a place of self-deception in some aspect of something and be doing essentially that kind of thing. So we have to watch it. In Psalm 72, verses 12 to 14, I'm just going to read from my point here. And this is what God would do. They say, for he will rescue the needed when they cry out for help and the oppressed who have no defender. He will take pity on the poor and needy, the lives of the needy he will save. From harm and violence he will defend them. He will value their lives. That is a statement there. He will value their lives. Now, if we know that God will value their lives, that's teaching us volumes. If God values their lives, what should we do? We should value their lives, right? It's obvious there. So now, to get back now to the, to the New Moon Festival. So we see that they wanted to get back to their cheating 
and all this sort of thing that they were doing. So they wanted that to be out of the way. New Moon Festival. I'm going to read some verses here that are found in First Chronicles. Chapter 23, beginning at verse 27. According to David's final instructions, the Levites 20 years old and older were counted. Their job was to help Aaron's descendants in the service of the Lord's temple. They were to take care of the countryside, of the courtyards, I'm sorry, their rooms, ceremonial purification of all holy items, and other jobs related to the service of God's temple. They also took care of the bread that is displayed, the flour for offerings, the unleavened wafers, the round cakes, the mixing of all the measuring. They also stood in a designated place every morning and offered thanks and praise to the Lord. They also did this in the evening and when they offered burnt sacrifices, whenever burnt sacrifices were offered to the Lord on the Sabbath and at the new moon festivals and assemblies, a designated number was to serve the Lord regularly in accordance with our regulations. So now when you read the preparation and what was going on here, this is not about something that ought to be just swept aside to be gotten out of the way. But it's about worship for God. So they, God instructed them to do this. And so their hearts and minds should have been focused there. We are part of worship and of the worship activity. And so the right way to, treat, to have treated that moon festival rather than wanted it to be gone so that they could get back to cheating was to put their minds and hearts into true worship of the true God. Let me look at the Sabbath. Because it said the Sabbath, they wanted that to be gone as well. But the Sabbath also is another one that, you know, it's just a horrifying thing to think that they thought the significance of the Sabbath was such that they could wish for it to be gone quickly. In Exodus chapter 20, and in verses 8 to 11, we read these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that are in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day, a day set aside by God for the people to worship, to set aside every other thing and say, this is the day the Lord appointed for this. So we see how horrifying it is 
that the people will substitute and say, well, for me, it's more important to be cheating the people and mishandling the poor than to be a part of what is what the uh, Sabbath day is set aside for. In Psalm 92, a psalm for the Sabbath day, here's what it says. It is fitting to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is fitting to proclaim your royal love in the morning and your faithfulness during the night and uh, to the accompaniment of ten string instruments and a lyre and to accompaniment of the meditative tone of the harp. For you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. I will sing for joy because of what you have done. The people were able to be business people because God had given that gift to them, the ability to do that. But he also had said, but it has a time and a place. And the most important thing is that God had a special time and place for his special worship. And if they would have handled that properly, then they would be ready to do the right thing in their business relations. But if they blow off what God's worship and focus, attention, and all that, then they adopt other principles by which to live day by day. In Isaiah chapter 58, in verse 13 and 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the new moon festival and the Sabbath. And we see choices there as to what to do. What they should have been doing and what they were actually doing. And so when we see and understand the significance of the new moon festivals and what God orchestrated for them to do. And there are other, lots of other verses that we could have read. And for the Sabbath and what they should have been doing. There are lots of verses that talk about that. It's, it helps us to see that when this, he started the, in this part, in, in verse number two, where he says, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass over them anymore. They have their choices. And see, they had a measure of freedom. They had a measure of opportunity to, to decide what to do. 
And I say uh, measure because obviously none of us have absolute control of anything. But God has given us a range of opportunity to make choices. And we do. But a popular term nowadays is, I would say, choices have consequences. And that's what we're seeing here. That for them, that same principle was true. So now verse number 7, still in chapter 8. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. I will not forget. Swearing by the pride of Jacob. Now that's an interesting uh, thought there. And some have said, well, what, what does it mean, swearing by the pride of Jacob? And there are a couple of different ideas that folks have put forward. But in verse number 2 of chapter 4, also in Amos, it says, The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. And then in chapter 6, and in verse number 8, it says, The Lord God has sworn by himself. That's kind of the expected. Swearing by himself, he can swear by no greater than himself. Uh, so, but here, he said, I abhor the pride of Jacob. Now, that verse, I think I was reading verse number 8, and I stopped just short of that phrase there. But it says, the Lord has sworn, I'm in chapter 6 and verse number 8 again. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. And then we get over here back in chapter 8 again. And then it says, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Now, some take it to be that really what is being conveyed here that is that he really is is also here uh, doing the same as he did in those two passages has sworn by the pride of Jacob uh, some take it more as a sarcasm uh, that's being used in the expression of swearing by the pride of Jacob because they thought they were stable and Invincible and all that sort of thing. And the swearing is by that which is stable. Uh, that's what makes the swearing by that uh, to be significant. So, so that's the way. But, so he swore by the pride of, pride of uh, Jacob here. Surely I will, not, I will never forget any of your works. Then it says, shall the land not tremble for this? And everyone mourn who dwells in it. And all of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. That's an interesting thought. Think about the upheaval. One way that this has been expressed is that really what is being given here to us is an idea of what's going to happen for them within four decades when the Assyrians come. 
and all the upheaval and the chaos from you know, decimating the people and deporting people and bringing in other people from other lands and, and all that sort of thing. And then after all that's done, it pretty much retreats back to their own country. After have a so like uh, the heaving and the subside, like the river of Egypt, or the Nile River. So the devastation and the problem will be will be dramatic, or was dramatic. In that, in verse number nine, it shall come to pass in that day. That word again says the Lord that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth. In broad daylight, I will turn your feast into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. One of the things I want to draw attention here to here is this. In verse 10, I will turn your feasts into mourning. So what does it mean that he's turning their feasts into mourning? What, what was their feast all about? So they were having feasts. They were having songs. I will bring sackcloth on everyone and baldness and all this. I think what we have here is the people are going through, they're, they're following the rituals. See, even those ones who wanted the, the day of the, the new moon to be gone and the festival and the Sabbath to be gone quickly, they were at the place where the new moon things were being done. So they went to the services, they participated, they were going through the motions, they were following the ritual. But the heart was not in it. So, that means that it really wasn't benefiting them. They had, they had dual worship, false worship. They were, had these worship places that Jeroboam I had set up in both Bethel and, uh, and the other place up north there. So, they had these alternative worship things going on. So there were, it, you know, it could be looked at and thought, oh, these are very spiritual people because they're doing all these exercises. They're doing these things. But they're not doing it the way that God ordained that it should be done. And the doing of the things themselves, in and of themselves, by themselves, doesn't accomplish anything. Of value. In fact, it's probably harmful as opposed to not accomplishing anything because I'm thinking about passive self deception messages to just merely go through the motions knowing that the heart is not in it and to repeatedly do it, it, it will create enormous trouble. So we have to be sure that our hearts are right with the Lord, examining ourselves and asking for the Lord's help.
so that we would not repeat what these folks were doing and be of the same mindset that they were. It's easy for us to think we couldn't be that bad. Obviously, we wouldn't do what they were doing. But if we're self-deceived, then maybe we are doing some of that. (laughs) That's why we have to be careful so that we can understand and know whether we understand what God has required of us and then are really actually trying to to do what he is requiring of us. And that's where we ought to be. So so this is Amos, and this is the first part of chapter 8. So I'm, I'm going to come back here and go with that, and we'll keep moving forward. And so all this judgment that has come from the beginning of the, of, the, of the book of Amos all the way down to here, and then we keep right on going, all this judgment narrative. But one of the wonderful things and interesting things about the book of Amos is that before we get through the, to the end, there, there's big good news, big good news at the end in this. That's God's program, and we'll get there. But we're closed with a prayer now. Our Father, thank you for giving us the privilege and the opportunity to sit together and reflect upon these sections of the scripture and help us so that we will not have done an exercise in vain, but rather to the glory of the Lord. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior, thanksgiving. Amen.